Well, good morning, church. It is a beautiful morning. You know, there's uh, a lot going on right now, and I want to say a few things before I even get into the message today. A lot of life going on. Um, uh, first of all, yesterday we had a wedding here. Uh, Vivian Dewey is now Miss, uh, Mrs. Vivian Allen. So she, uh, she got married here yesterday. It actually went really well. She had a great time. Uh, I hope she had a great time. It was her wedding, right? So um, <laughs> that was good. Uh, one, a bit of news, though, that is uh, not, well, it's just change. But Katie over here has been our office administrator, for, uh, administrative assistant for seven and a half years. And due to her father's sort of failing uh, ailments and some other things, they're looking at the future and where they're going to be and what they need to do and moving and stuff like this. So in October, she's going to be stepping down from that. So, uh, so make sure, I'm sure there'll be something before that you could be a part of, but make sure you say appreciation to her. Uh, we will be looking to fill it, obviously, fill that position. So our ears will be out coming this Monday, but she has been so faithful. And we knew this was coming, so there was no surprises here. And uh, we just uh, thank her. Just give her thanks and uh, give her a hug. She likes it. <laughs> She has been a blessing. You know, um, I do these assessments, and on the assessment, it tells you what kind of person you need that's very supportive. She fits every one of those little boxes, so that's very good. The other thing I want to talk about this morning is there is a hurricane. Uh, there are several hurricanes. We only hear about one at a time, it seems like, but there are actually multiple hurricanes. Uh, these are all acts of God, but they involve people. And A, before I talk, uh, share the next thing, is you guys, thank you. Many of you have given to just what happened down in Texas, the hurricane that hit Texas. Many of you have given to that. Uh, you've done a wonderful job. And oftentimes it's part of that um, struggle we have inside what to do with natural catastrophe kind of stuff. And so uh, one of the associations we're a part of, uh, we're part of more than one, but uh, is located, their headquarters is located in Florida. And so that president made a short video of what he thought we could do. It actually came out earlier this week before the hurricane hit. The hurricane is actually currently uh, hitting right now. You want to go ahead and do that? Or here, I'll click. He has a message for us just a minute long. Better help. Oh, and there's volume in there somewhere. Hold on a second. I could translate, but I think it's better in his own words. Do we have it? Is that, is that going to work? Oh, he's got one, one minute. This is Scott Rideout, by the way. Hi, this is Scott Rideout, the president of Converge. Oh, here we go. Hold on, son. Here son. To ask the video is not with that. it, though. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, there we go. Ask for your prayers. First of all, right now, Hurricane Irma is hitting the Leeward Islands of the Caribbean with 185 mile an hour winds. Uh, whether you realize it or not, we have churches there. We have Four churches in St. Croix, including two homeless uh, shelters there, as well as uh, a church in Anguilla, where there's also a daycare center. We also have churches on many of the other islands, including the Bahamas and Jamaica, Dominican Republic, and other places. Uh, we know they're going to need our prayers, but we also know they're going to need our help after the storm. We'd like you to ask, ask you to pray for us and pray for those of us who are also in Florida as the storm hits us, that, uh, that God would be gracious, uh, that people would be safe, and the church would respond in incredible, generous ways with their actions, with their words, and with their resources. 
I'll let you know more after the storm about how you can help. You did such a great job with Hurricane Harvey, and I know you'll step up to this moment as well. Pray with me. So that's his message. I actually really liked it. I kept it short and sweet, but he also shared how you can pray. Because sometimes you pray and you're wondering, how can I pray? And uh, so pray as he instructed us, that the church, the church is there. Pray for the church to step up in generosity and be the church. Um, and that's the cool thing. I want to share this. This is the cool thing about being part of a church, is that it's not just you, right? We have extended hands and feet all over the world. Now, certainly, we're going to see how we can help later with both of these situations. But the reality is, we're not alone. And prayer does move mountains. So I just wanted to share that with you. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, today's message is on following, finding life through following Jesus. Last week, we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan and how, who is your neighbor, was the question. And one of the points I brought out last week that I I basically changed the quote, was from Henry Drummond, I modernized it, where he said, how many people do not see heaven because of the unloving character of someone who says they're going there? When we think about social media, sometimes you know people, and then you see their social media feed, and you think, man, that is not the person I what? That I thought I knew, or that I know. Uh, and, and the effect that, that social media can damage a relationship right? That whole idea. And I sit there and I think, I think what's happening is we don't realize what we should do with it. I, I, I don't think Christians are out there intentionally trying to hurt people's feelings, but I think they don't know how to use social media. And I, I tried to emphasize that last week because of the changing culture and how we're entering into a whole new world era and how we need to change into this and understand how it works. In fact, even the social media companies are starting to reevaluate their priorities. The problem is they have instituted ideas and uh, intelligence and technology that centers everything around you. In fact, one article I was reading was, was very interesting. It said if you're political, literally they will customize the politics to speak to who you are, which means if you're a Democrat, you'll get all the Democratic feeds, and then when you look for a Republican feed, they'll give you the worst news. And then if you're the Republican, they'll give you all this great feed, and then if the Democrat news, they'll give you the worst of that. They literally are customizing it to what you want to hear, what you want to buy, what you want to know, what you need to know. And you have to realize this is actually going on, that when you get your social media feeds, they're customizing it in specific fields for your benefit. If you have certain friends on Facebook that you like and you tend to click on their stuff more, guess what they'll do? They'll up their feed to you more often. You see? As though that friend's more important than what? Your other friends. You see, what's getting into our culture is this idea that, that this social media is reality. What's really the reality is we're allowing these things to come into our lives and really disrupt relationships and disrupt our own identity and disrupt sort of loving others. We are allowing that to happen because... The, the hidden thing here, guys, the hidden little secret that you really have got to pick up on is this. The real problem that was here before social media that is still the problem today in culture that we have got to address, this has just helped it along, 
is that everybody's in too much of a rush. We're too hurried. I want to hear it in a minute. I don't want to have to think through it and discuss through it in two to four hours. Give me the feed in three minutes. Give me the short snippet of life and reality so I don't have to do the work to become the person I need to be. That's what I want. Give me the pill, the fix it. You see where I'm going with this? This is a huge underlying thing that occurred way before social media was invented, guys. It's hit our culture a long time. And it's, it is totally an excuse. And the reason I say that is because I've used it myself and because I've already shown you the statistics about these cell phones. Listen, if, if you could find 6.5 to 8 hours a day of a reason to be on this, you can find one hour a week to be here. You can find one hour a week to go to somebody's house and love on them. You can find one hour a week to sit down and have coffee with somebody who needs to talk to you. You can have the time, right? The issue is what we've sort of put our time around. Did Jesus ever talk about this stuff? Absolutely. Technology has just created a new venue for an ethical question that's been here for centuries. And so I want to I share a story out of Scripture first and just show you how Jesus dealt with some of these things. Uh, this story is coming out of Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read verse 38 through the end of that chapter. But if you take a look at this story, many of you have heard it. But I want you, this is the crazy thing about this story. You've heard it, but you haven't heard it. Because if you heard the story and you believed it and you owned it, you would never have this excuse. I'm too busy. You know what I'd hear more often from Christians if they really owned it? Is they'd say, you know what, I've caught myself. I feel like I'm getting too busy and I'm trying to slow it down. I'm catching myself. I've put too many things in my life and I need to pull back a little bit. That would be the conversation most often heard. Because in the story, Jesus and his disciples were on their way. And he came to a village where there was a woman named Martha. For some of you, all I have to do is say Martha, and you know the other story. Who's the other lady in this story? Anybody guess? Mary. There was a woman named Martha, and she opened her home to him. That's called hospitality. In fact, I sit there and I just pause and think, Martha, what an incredible woman, inviting a total stranger into her house. That's pretty cool. She showed hospitality. She had a sister. Her name was called Mary. And she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha, she was, what was she? Here, say that word, she was distracted. distracted. So the things that hurry us are typically what I would rather call biblically distractions. But here's the funny thing. Would you ever consider your work and your workplace a distraction? Would you ever consider your sporting event a distraction? Would you ever consider these things distractions? Or how about this one? Would you ever consider taking care and showing hospitality to someone you've invited into your house a distraction? Do you get that? Isn't this, is, doesn't it sound a little odd? Because culturally, she was doing everything right. 
There is no sin in what Martha did. Did you hear that? There is no sin in school or sports or work or money or all these things. But listen to Jesus. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Because if you've been around here long enough, you realize the more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to take care of. The bigger the party, the more the preparation. And Jesus didn't come alone. He had a whole bunch of people with him. And she felt obligatory to taking care of him and his companions, his disciples. Doesn't that just seem right? Everything in this story to this point is just in our cultural mind and setting, even today, is right. Dead on. That's ex- Martha, woohoo! I, I would hope everybody in the church would be that hospitable to utter strangers. And I, and I actually, to some degree, would. Because I promise you, you probably won't be hosting Jesus, but eh, maybe an angel, maybe somebody you should. But you sit there and go, Martha got distracted by the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care? <laughs> Which, you know, wrap your mind around that. Don't approach Jesus that way, please, by the way. Uh, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Have you ever felt like I got to do all the work by what? Myself. And, and that is a, it's a gentle reflection, by the way, into her personality. This was a woman who tried to do everything her what? Herself. She, she had some control things here going on. And she said, my sister should be helping me. I'm doing all the right things. Don't you care that she's sitting there with you just listening to you? And then... She says to Jesus, a rabbi, one whom she should respect, she says something a little disrespectful, tell her to help me. You command my sister. Have you ever heard that where somebody tells somebody else to tell somebody to do what they're supposed to do? Have you ever heard, anybody ever heard that? If you, if you haven't heard that, you haven't lived what I like to call life. And this is a sure-tell sign that somebody's trying to control somebody outside of their ability to control them. But then the answer of Jesus, and it's crazy, I'd love to know his tone. You could kind of get his tone on this. I would have loved to have just been there and heard Jesus' tone, but you, you can almost sound, it almost sounds like, Martha, Martha. You know, I probably would add a third one for the Trinity's sake, you know, but... Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried. This, th- what you're showing me right here is the perfect picture of worry. And it's, it's not a picture that God chose to use from the workplace or from the school place or from the sporting venue. It's from your home, your kitchen, your living room. You're worried and you're upset about how many things? Many things are floating in your head. Many things. But 
Few things, few, count them on my hand, are needed. Or indeed, let's make it smaller. One is all you need. Mary has chosen what is better. Martha had a failed filter of a Christian worldview. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. She grabbed on to something that will last forever. Now just think about this with your life. And what are you going to choose to follow in your life? Who are you going to choose to follow in life? How are you going to follow? What kind of a people will we be? How will we elect, allow technology to infect and affect us? What will we choose to do? Because what I love that Jesus says here is, first he says, few things are needed. Did you realize this is a Christian virtue that most Christians don't seem to have? And yet I don't understand why we've had the story we're actually raised, did you catch this? I want to I share this with you. You're raised in a culture where when you're too busy, everybody thinks, cool, I'm too busy too. And I'm too busy becomes the excuse of why I can't help you, you can't help me, so I could care less. Right? Because if I'm not busy and I've got a truck, everybody that moves wants to do what? Borrow my truck. Few things in your life are really needed. This is a Christian virtue. It's called simplicity. Plan it. Put it into your life to live simply. And, and this isn't my idea. But this is his. You see, in our culture, in my idea, in my upbringing, it's like grab it all, baby. Do everything. Go for the gusto. There was some old commercial dates me, but that's the reality. It's like, do everything. Have everything. You can become everything. The truth to that is it's a lie. You can't. Few things in your life that you really need. So why don't you plan to make your life simple? Why don't you plan to slow down and sit at the feet of Jesus? Because the next thing he's very clear on is that only one thing is needed. Only one. And by the way, this is not just one thing that you set yourself on in the morning, which I think you should. I think you should have the discipline of setting yourself on Jesus in the morning. But this is the one governor in your life that should dictate all other things you do during the week. How does the, the simple following Jesus with your life approach change the way you engage your workplace, your marriage, your children, uh, your everything? You see, we need to learn to filter life through following and loving Jesus first. That's what we got to do. But I was never taught this when I was younger, but I want to show this to you. You've briefly seen it in the past, but I want you to look at it. It's on the back of your notes. It's a grid. It's a simple grid. 
that will allow you to never again say, I'm too busy. If you do have that issue, you will say something like, I've realized I'm too busy and I need to pull back from something as I speak. And so this is the grid that I like to show people. God, when he created you, created you that you could control something. And what you could control was self. Mary and Martha had complete control of what they did with self. Martha chose to busy herself on what she thought would be acceptable, what the culture wants, what the expectations of the culture were. What she didn't realize is that this is Jesus. And he dictates reality, not culture. And I don't think, honestly, I, I don't think it's like Martha was intentionally doing this to be a bad person or something. I think what happens is when you allow false cultural impressions into your life, you become deceived because the nature of sin is to deceive. And when you're deceived, folks, let me just share this with you. When you're deceived, you don't know it. It's not intentional. You just do it because you think it's the right thing to do. Well, in that point, in that point, you gently approach people just like Jesus. Martha, Martha, you're worried. Why are you so worried? Anybody ever get worried? Did you realize you shouldn't? But what do you do with it? Well, let me show you how this works. There's one person you can control itself. And I promise you, you can't control your wife. Guys, if you try to control your wife, I promise you a miserable marriage. It's the only thing I've wrong. You cannot control your wife. And by the way, you know what else you can't control? Your children. The only person you control is who? Self. So what should you do about self? Well, first of all, you should pray about that. You should pray, Father, these are, my, these are my sins and struggles. I worry too much. I am too busy. I'm too distracted by too many things. And I'm not solely focused on what is your will in these things. You need a little honest conversation with the creator kind of thing. And just say, God, take me as I am. I know you love me as I am. I know you'll care for me. I know your way is even better than mine and what I think my way should be. And you take that prayer and you move it to the secondary one up there. You take it and look at it from a worldview. What does Jesus want you to do in that area of your life? How would a Christian respond from the Bible to the situation you're in? And I promise you, here's what I want to promise you. That situation you're in, there is a Christian story that alludes to the, to the person you need to be and the worldview you need to have. Because here's the crazy thing. It sounds so simple when we say our vision, love Jesus first. But if it was so simple, catch this, why did Jesus have to say it 50 different ways in 50 different stories to his own disciples who were following him in real time? They'd go across the ocean in a boat. The storm would come. They'd be fearful. And Jesus, and they'd wake him up. We're going to die. And Jesus would say, be quiet, water. Boom. Why is your faith so little? Who is this that controls the world? Hurricane Irma, Harvey, and everything else. Who is this person? Why did he have to say in his greatest sermon ever, just seek first what? 
God's kingdom, his stuff, all these other things will be what? Sorted out. If you get your priorities straight in life, everything else is going to be fine. Even, get this, because my wife and I have been through it, even when you go through the valley of hell itself, you're going to be okay. You know why? Because somebody travels the journey with you. And I only need one person to travel with me. And believe it or not, the person I want for my wife when she goes through the valley is not just me, it's him. And when I go through the valley, it's him, and I pray my wife's by me. But Job didn't have that luxury. It doesn't matter. You see, it's, it's, it's the audience of one, the worldview of one. What would Jesus want you to do in that moment? Do you even know what the worldview is in that moment? I find way too many believers that don't know the Christian response to worry and busyness. And then they also don't implement it. Because they don't even know what it looks like. It's not their fault. It's the nature of sin. Sin does what? Deceives. And when you are deceived, I don't know what I don't know. That's why Jesus is so gentle with the sinners. He realizes the nature of sin and how brutal it is on our minds. How brutally deceptive it is on our culture and on our character. And Martha, she thought she was doing everything right. And in my mind and in our minds and in the flesh, you're sitting there going, she was. Dude, what was Mary doing? Come on, let's be honest. Mary was just doing this. This. I've got a party of a very important rabbi and a whole bunch of people in my house, and Mary's doing this. Who in this room wouldn't have an issue with that? Jesus wouldn't have an issue with that. Why? Listen, not enough food to go around. What you got? Let's multiply it. You see where Jesus would go with this conversation? The problem is you're not focused on the audience of one. And I love that about Jesus. Only one thing is needed in my faith. My faith by nature is simplicity and complexity wrapped into a beautiful salvation. One simple Savior who makes all the complexity but a few things and brings to my life a simplicity of worldview that allows me to put boundaries in. Boundaries. Boundaries is the next one, guys. What kind of boundaries do you have in your life? What kind of boundaries do you have on your cell phone? I already told you a couple. Don't go to bed with it. Get an alarm clock. Right? I've told you a few things. What kind of boundaries would Jesus want you to set upon those objects in your life? Upon your relationships? Upon your uh, uh, activities? Begin to set healthy boundaries into your life. Why? Because you have control of who? You can't blame this on your wife or your husband when it's your problem with boundaries. You can't blame it on your kids or the workplace or the sporting activity or the educational pressure. You can't blame it on anything except you to set those boundaries and let Jesus show you. The next thing you'll notice is priorities. What happens is that I find in our culture more often than not is we get our priorities out of whack and that causes all this stress. 
You know, we, we take Jesus out of the first place, and so things don't become simple. They become complex. I've got way too much to do this week. And then we take our wives or husbands out of the equation so I don't spend the proper amount of time investing in the person who God said I should invest in and love. And so I got too many things. I'm providing for you. I'm providing for the family. And men and women say this as an excuse. And it goes all around our culture, and it's acceptable. Or, or we all of a sudden just forget to invest in our children. You know, and, and we expect the school to do it. Like it's their job to be the ethical instructors of all of our children. Whose illusion is that? No, no, the parent is there to parent. And so we lose sight of priorities. And when we lose sight of priorities, all of a sudden we become just like Martha, distracted by so many things of what I could do. There's a whole world over there you could do. You know what I want? I want a flying car. And honestly, it ain't going to happen and, I, you know, it could, it could. I could invest my whole life in the focus of one thing, a flying car. And I might be able to get it. There's one coming out of Europe I'm really digging right now. The problem is I don't even think the FAA will be around to do that till maybe my son. So I'm hoping my son buys a flying car and I get to ride with him. But the truth is, that's what we do. And it sounds funny because it's a flying car, but I could set that same tone with my workplace my education, my uh, physical activities, actually not me as much, but anyways, we can focus on things and be distracted by multiple things, selfish things. Why? Hey, Google told me that's what I need. Amazon showed me that's what I like. Facebook has already taught me that's what I have to do. Because you see what they're doing is wrapping it all around you. Priorities, disciplines, this is something, oh, disciplines. You have to think about the disciplines in any boundary in your life. The discipline is this, what do I have to impose upon myself to have control in that area? And here's the truth for me. For me, it's been times of saying, I have to show up somewhere ahead of time, otherwise I'll be late on time. How about this one? You should stop playing that game because it makes you angry. You should stop doing that because it frustrates you. You should stop. But it's not a bad thing in and of itself. No, it's a bad thing when you get a hold of it. Uh, for me, uh, I might use the phone and stuff on that and do a lot of good stuff on here 90% of the time, but that other 10% needs discipline. Or if, if you got like 90% isn't good on this, maybe you need to sit this down for a while and see who's got control of who. There's an easy way in my life, folks, the easiest way to test whether you have control of something or not is set it aside for a week and see, how, see if you get the shakes. Because, you know, when Jesus, this, the part of the story we don't hear in this, which is really interesting to me, is what actually happened after he said that. We don't know. We don't need to know. But think about it. After he said that, what would you have done? If you were Martha and Jesus said that to you, how would your story end? Could you let go and discipline yourself to hold on to what is important and let go of things that are not the better of the two? That's called discipline. Planning. I find that we 
typically make plans for only things that we have to or we want to or we desire to. In the occupation we have, driven often by money, not always, sometimes by passion, but we plan because we want to do a good job. You know what? That's awesome. So let me advise planning on one level. Do you want to make Jesus first in your life? And what have you planned in your life to do it? Where's your plan? I don't care if it's about what book you're reading in the Bible or how long you pray. The issue is, do you have any of that even in a plan? Have you planned to be in the Word somewhere and to pray and to love and to care? Because when Martha said, don't you care? Jesus cares more than anybody in this room. What are we talking about? But she was so distracted, she didn't even realize, I think, what she was saying. She didn't know this was God in her living room. Last thing, once you make a plan, you take action steps. This, out of all the things on the wheel, trick question, which one's the hardest? Action. No matter where I go in the world, no matter where I teach people to plan and deal with their own self-control, the hardest point is always the same. It's not the prayer, it's not the worldview, it's not the boundary, it's not the priority, it's not the discipline, it's not the planning. It's actually taking the first step into it, the action. I just started exercising and swimming again. It's a confession. It's not really fun for me. I like it and I hate it. It's love-hate. It's like my glasses. The truth is... I. I used to swim all the time. I like swimming. So I started swimming again. It makes me feel good. It's good for me. I could give you all the reasons why swimming is excellent for your body. And then I could tell you I don't like it all the time. And it was the first action when I actually went to the pool and said I want to swim. And then I went to the pool and they were supposed to be open and they were closed. And so I thought, maybe it's a sign from God. <laughs> so I thought, no, no, Kelly, you're making an excuse. You need to swim. So I went the second time. They still weren't open. So I talked to somebody. And they said, oh, that schedule's off and everything else. And they said, we'll be here next week at this time, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, okay, God wants me to wait till next week. I go next week. They have school orientation. The pool's still closed. A sign from God. No, no, a sign of, are you serious about this, and will you do this? And so the following week I go, and I actually do it, and I have been doing it. I want to do it more, but the truth is, I could easily have made at least three excuses on why God didn't want me in that pool swimming. And they would have been exactly that, excuses. What I find fascinating and what I love about my faith is my faith is practical. Christianity is intensely practical. And I love in Ephesians, he'll say this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Therefore, do not be foolish. Foolishness is when you know the right thing to do, but you choose not to do it. That's a fool. It's different than the one who's ignorant of something. But understand what whose will is? 
Not your husbands, not your wives, not your children's. The Lord's will in every single situation. Can I just, I want to go back on this. I think this will work. If I control myself, it is a beautiful thing. My children, believe it or not, I can't control them. But I do have what's called influence on them. If I try to control somebody in my influence, what do you think happens? You will worry. You will. And you will become Martha. The most I can do with my children is influence them. And how do I influence them? It's the same tools. I pray for them. I look at what does Jesus want me to raise my children to be like. I set boundaries in that as much as I can as a parent to do a good job. I seek to put them in the right priority and not be uh, centered around my children, but centered around Jesus. I discipline them when necessary, not just discipline, but disciplines, like what they need to learn and grow in. Planning, I make plans to have a healthier family. And I take actions to do it. Is that easy to do all the time? No. No, it's not easy being a parent, but it's beautiful. And if we follow Jesus first, I love it. I love the way he put that. There's just a few things on our list of to-dos. And in fact, really, there's only one. I can have 20 things to pick up at the grocery store. Five things. Let's make it easy. Just a few. But then I meet somebody at the grocery store that wants to talk about Jesus. And Jesus says, no, there's actually only one thing important here. And it's not the cantaloupe. And concerns. You know how many people online, here's, here's the last one. You, please grab this one. The problem with the information explosion in social media is you now know about every struggle, every cultural struggle around the world, and everybody will want to make every cultural phenomenon the most important in the world. Irma is going to wreak devastation. Absolutely. But the other two or three hurricanes going right now, they're going to do that too. Has nobody talked to you about that? Oh, that's true, but there are still people starving in Ethiopia. What are you doing about that one? You see how easy it is just to make you feel guilty. 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 You don't care. You don't care about the world around you. That's what they say. And they're all liars and deceivers. Why? Because things that are outside of your influence and control are the things that you should concern yourself with because you love everyone and you pray over it just like scott showed us pray for us and if if there's something to do we'll let you know i can't i can't feed every starving child i could feed a few maybe that's what god wants me to do maybe god wants me to go down to florida and help or to texas or into the bahamas the bahamas sounds not so bad but it's terrible we go on vacation to vacate there are people who live in these conditions. Half the world is in poverty. Don't you care? You see the story. Do you hear Martha in it? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be doing something for some condition in the world. I'm actually telling you, you probably should be, and you should be, because Jesus cared. 
But I'm saying when it's outside of your influence and your control, and you try to control it, or you try to give me a guilt trip, then I got something to share with you. There are a thousand other concerns in this world you don't even know about. And the problem is you're trying to play God, and only God is big enough to take care of the world. He holds the world where? In his palm of his hands. He has enough love to care for everybody in the whole world. The question then becomes then, how do I care for them? How do I take a concern on my heart and do something with it? That's why I brought that video up. I feel like a lot of times as Christians, you know, Irma's going to hit. What do we do? Well, let's talk to our brothers and sisters and ask them, Scott, what can we do here in Benicia to help you in the Caribbean? And he told us, and he's right. And there will be a day after the hurricane that maybe there's something more we can do. But it's not your fault that you don't care, because you do care. Don't believe the lies. You go on social media, you're supposed to care about what? Everything. I do care about everything. Can I give you one tool when you go on social media now and you see all the concerns of the world laid out in front of you within five minutes? Can I, can I give you a tool? If you're going to do that to yourself on a regular basis, make it your prayer time. Because every time you see a world concern and you don't pray over it, do you really care? Because when I go on social media and I see the struggles in the world and I hear something, I pray for that. The problem is, if you're on there a lot, I promise you, you're not praying for it. You're just allowing yourself to feel more and more concerned and guilty and nobody cares and all those feelings. And they're all lies. And they fit into the pit. Don't believe that stuff. Love one thing. Care about one thing. He'll show you how to take care of the rest. Be careful how you live. So, three tools and we're done. First one, do not get caught up into the web of one. That is what the web is becoming. The World Wide Web is becoming the web of one because they're customizing every feature, AI, artificial intelligence, to meet your particular need of what you like to look at, what you like to see, and what you like to hear. It's the web of one. And it's not just Christians who are concerned about it. But be aware, as you go into this thing called social media and the web, that's what it's about. Secondly, to see your neighbor, you're going to have to put your phone down. That sounds weird, but it's practical. If you always have your phone on you, and all of a sudden the robber who was beaten up by the guy and he's laid at the side of the road and you're busy texting somebody, you'll never see the person right next to you. Does it mean you can't text? No. It means are you aware of your surroundings? Are you aware of what's going on in the people's lives right next door to you and in your world? Because there's no way to be a good Samaritan if you're clueless and can't even see it. I think if Jesus did the good Samaritan story for us today, he'd say one guy was religious walking by with a text on his phone, and he didn't even see the guy. Have you ever seen somebody just walk by a situation with their phone? Or better yet, how about this? The next guy, he walked by the guy that had been beaten and robbed, and he was filming it on his iPhone so he could put it on the web. You ever see that one? But then maybe there's that one person who put their phone in their pocket and said, you know what, I want to take care of this guy and I want to give him a place to stay and help him out and heal his wounds and stick him in the leather seats of my Lexus. You see, to see your neighbor, you've got to put your phone down. Last of all, ask yourself, what good is it? Um, I actually love these things. I'm, I'm not a proponent against them. 
But let me explain. This is a tool. You can monitor or measure this. I can tell you right now how you use it. Ask yourself simply, what good is it? When I do my banking on this, that's pretty cool because I don't have to go to the bank. It saves me some time. When I text somebody with some encouraging words and say, I just hope you're having a great day, love you, that's a good thing. You can measure that. If I call somebody, say, I just felt like I needed to call you and help you out or see how you're doing, or you know, that, that's a good thing. There are a lot of good things you could do with this. But measure it. You ask yourself, what do I spend my time on this doing? Because if it's 24-7 news, ain't good. 24-7 social media, probably not good. Where are your boundaries? Measure. Are you using it for good or for ill? It's not the phone's fault. Because I can set the phone down. It's my fault because I have the control to choose to pick it up or leave it there. That's why when you start looking at your life today, folks, look at who you're following. Who are you following? All you need is an audience of one. All you need is to sit at the foot of one person. Don't believe all the hubbub about you got to do this, 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 and this. There are but a few things that matter, and only one, really. And that's Jesus. So love Jesus first. And all these things will be added to you. Not taken away, by the way. Did you hear that? All the good things will be added. But you got to start with the best. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that in this world of a great many concerns, a great many uh, things that we have influence in, and, and we've been very blessed to know of a great many things, I pray for each of us here today that we would be able to sit at your feet in a culture that increasingly wants us to do these other things, to distract us from what is most important, even good things, even things that seem just right. There's no sin in them. But they are, nonetheless, the distraction. And we begin to worry, Father. And so I pray for each person in this room. Teach us to control ourselves as you have designed it to be. Teach us to influence others through prayer and through loving them the way you would have us to. And teach us to take the concerns of the world that are open to up to us and begin to pray for them and put them in a healthy priority. Dear Lord Jesus, in this world we could get caught up in so many things, but only one is important. May we not be a people of busyness. May we be a people of simplicity. And may we begin to work on those areas that we need to pull back from and pull into those areas that we need to work on, that you would be glorified. In your name, amen.